Shabbat Shalom. I'm blessed and privileged to bring the drosh today as we'll be looking at seven chapters of scripture, but I won't uh, keep you here very long. I promise you that. The 54th portion of scripture which completes the last two chapters of Deuteronomy is Vezot HaBracha, which means this is the blessing. These last two chapters contain several things, but it's most importantly what they mirror. They mirror the first two chapters, or the last two chapters of Genesis, in which Jacob blesses his children as Moses blesses his children before they die. And then you have their subsequent deaths spoken of in chapter 50 of Genesis and chapter 34 of Deuteronomy. At the beginning of this chapter 33, we have an interesting imagery that comes forth. A picture, almost like the picture that we see in apocalyptic actions of Scripture. For example, in Daniel chapter 9, or in other places, in which you see God coming down in the clouds with many around Him. And they're called Kedoshim, the Holy Ones. And over again... They're referred to as his peoples, in which he instructs them the Torah. It's interesting to note, the rabbis don't know if the peoples being referred to here are Israelites themselves, or if they are all the peoples of the earth. The word for inheritance in this same area, merash, if I'm saying that correctly, would be better translated heritage, because it's not a physical thing we're necessarily getting like an inheritance that can be spent, but it's a heritage by which we get to teach our children over and over again. God blesses, or Moses blesses each of the 12 tribes here, except for Simeon, and he focuses specifically on both Levi and Joseph, very similar to Jacob, who focused on Judah and Joseph. But Moses probably decides to focus on Levi because he wants the people of Israel to remember the Levites and for the Levites to know that God is their portion. God is their inheritance. Finally, chapter 33 concludes with God is our dwelling. Meaning that God was an actual physical dwelling in verse 27 in which people could take refuge in Him. Not a God that was far away. Not a God that was impersonal, that we couldn't touch. But He was dwelling in the very midst of Israel. And He was holding them with the everlasting arms. A term in which God's arms never get tired. He constantly is our King, our Helper, our Protector, our Provider. And by this, Israel was special. Because it says, who is like Israel? How happy a people we are. Finally, in chapter 34, we have several things. We have Moses' vision of the land. The rabbis sometimes say, did Moses actually just see the land? Or did he see all that Israel would become in the land? It's an interesting midrash. But Moses has an interesting set in the fact that he finally does die. And it's interesting that he dies at 120 years old. Just as, as we read in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 3, that God's Spirit would only dwell with flesh 120 years. We see that Moses is a fulfillment.
fulfillment of that. But the part that's interesting about Moses is he had his total faculties when he died. In other words, his bones had not become dry. His skin had not worn out. His eyes and his hearing were still at their full peak. It was only because that God had sustained him and been with him. And though he dies when we don't know where his burial place was, we know that God sent Michael to take his body, as it tells us in Jude chapter 1, verse 9. For Michael the archangel, when talking about the body of Moses to the adversary, said, The Lord rebuke you. The part that I'll chant in verses 9 through 12 has different things that really want to focus on. Joshua, in turn, receives that anointing. And it's because Moses had laid his hands on him and had given him all that God had given him. God was working through Moshe, as the Torah concludes here. And it says that he had a revelation like no other prophet. God spoke to him in a way that was so direct that no other prophet had the same kind of relationship of being face to face with God. God showed his power by what Moses said. And that's how the revelation is supposed to work. God's power is supposed to accompany the very words that he gives us. He makes it very clear not that this was something that was just for Israel, but it was for Egypt and Pharaoh and his servants as well. Now turning to Breshit, in which Ariel will chant the first portion, chapter 1, verses 1 through chapter 6, verse 8. In this portion, the word Breshit means in the beginning. But it's also the word Breshit is the word that we see talked about as first fruits. Something that God was doing. Something that He was doing. We see that we have several firsts. The first creation, that of light. The first judgment, that the light was good. The first time we see foreshadows of what people were to be. The first time something is called holy, the Shabbat. The first Shabbat, which is mentioned in Scripture. The first place, the garden. The first marriage between Adam and Eve. The first point of giving of knowledge. And unfortunately, with that knowledge came the first lie, and the first temptation, and the first sin which inevitably came about in the first curse. We also have the firstborn, or the first birth, and the first family, no, not the Obamas, Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel. And unfortunately, we have the first murder and the first death. Then we have the story of Laman and his first amount of pride before the Lord. In chapter 5, we have the first genealogy, and finally, the condemnation of God upon his creation that he was so sad that he had made the world. God says his sadness because of the brokenness that had come about. All these portions are foundational to our faith. Such a huge portion of scripture to try to cover in just a few minutes. But I want to point your, your point to the part that Ariel will chant. Reshape in the beginning. Not God's beginning, but our beginning. It's important to note that God always existed. God created. We are makers and formers of different things, but we never can take nothing 
and create something out of nothing. We just form and we also make things out of things that already exist. The very idea of Elohim, a very personal name, a powerful force of who God would be, and the judge of all the earth. And this idea that he had created the heavens and the earth. We see throughout scripture this idea of God being referred to that way. Whenever God is referred to, to Gentiles, sometimes he's told, he is the God of the heaven and the earth. Why? Because everything that the heaven and earth has been made is all that we see and all that we know. That's why God says this about the heaven and the earth. It's interesting to note, too, that our beginning is here. Because we have a part to play on His earth. As it says in Psalm 24, The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Meaning, if it's His earth, we're going to have to account for living on it. It doesn't matter who you are, Jew or Gentile, believer or non-believer. But we will all stand before Him and be judged by what He says. It's interesting that God gives life to the earth by His Spirit hovering over the surface of the water. The same picture that we see in which humans are created, in which God breathes on the face of man into the breath of life. Also, again, I'd like to point to you, how does God judge? Maybe some of you didn't hear this last year, but it is definitely worth repeating. First, God says what is to be. It's His Word. It's the way we know right and wrong. Or maybe not right and wrong, per se, but what's holy and what's profane. He says, let there be light. And then He comes down and He looks at what He said. Is this person doing what they're supposed to? Is this person hearing my word? God sees what He has said. And He wants to know if we are doing what He's told us to do. His seeing is said, God saw the light. And then finally, God makes a judgment of, is the light good or the light bad? In this case, He tells us, the light is good. And then, He separates. God makes a distinction by the way things are, by separating it. Because God separated the light from the darkness. I'd like to tell you so much more about this, but we're told to keep these drushes to about five to seven minutes. So I hope I've given you food for thought and definitely things you would want to look into more. Also read the Haftors from Joshua 1 and Isaiah 42. They speak a lot of who God is and what He wants to do in our life. Lord, as we celebrate Your Word today, and as we have this time, we ask, Lord, that You would fill us with Your Spirit, that we'd be able to understand Your, your Word more and more. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our eyes that we truly would see wonderful things in your Torah and in all of Scripture. In Yeshua's mighty name we pray. Amen.